Welcome to the Clifford Chance podcast, where we discuss hot topics impacting the legal profession and trends faced by the business world today. My name is Celeste Kulefeld, and I'm a litigation partner in Clifford Chance's New York office, as well as the firm's global relationship partner for our pro bono client, the International Center for Advocates Against Discrimination, or ICAD. ICAD is a human rights nonprofit working at the intersection of law, technology, and art to create evidence-based programs combating structural discrimination globally. I'm joined today by ICAD advisor Zuleika Henderson. Zuleika is a licensed social worker, a cultural healing and anti-racism consultant, and the founding director of the Center for Black Wellbeing with Gray Matters Medical Practice, which serves as a wellness destination that houses several healing lanes specifically designed for Black people. Zuleika, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Celeste. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Great. Glad to have you here. Today, we're going to discuss DICTA, ICAD's interactive virtual art exhibit combining legal poetry, law, and art to inspire activism in pursuit of social justice. With DICTA, ICAD's artist-in-residence, Harbani Ayuta, creates found poetry in Supreme Court decisions, featuring poems on the thematic areas of the rights of Black people and women's rights. Clifford Chance partnered with ICAD on this exhibit, and we currently have 16 poems on display in our New York office, and I must say they are stunning. Let's turn to some questions. Zuleika, can you tell us a bit about your background? How did you first become involved with ICAD? I am a licensed social worker, an educator, a researcher, and trainer from East New York, Brooklyn. Um, but more than those titles, I really am just a human being who believes that a part of the reason for my life is to make sure um, that the, there are healing spaces for Black folks and people of color that resonate with the ways that we define and pursue healing. And especially in the context of talking about justice, I think that healing justice is important. Um, and so I met ICAD because of work that I was previously doing with a colleague at Columbia. And uh, she introduced me as um, someone with a clinical background that could support uh, some of the projects that ICAD CAD was working on. So uh, that's how we met and we have pretty much been family ever since. That's great to hear. Now turning to the incredible DICTA exhibit, Harbani's work is quite remarkable. Um, how was she selected as ICAD's artist in residence? Yeah, so ICAD has um, always made a point to connect arts and human rights work. And um, they had an arts and discrimination competition in 2012. And Harbani actually uh, was previously a legal intern for ICAD. And Harbani had shared um, dic a dicta poem on their social media, and it really moved uh, the co-founders of ICAD. Um, both uh, Hans Beef and Jespreet, they saw uh, potential in Harbani's work to really kind of cover both physical and digital spaces. So they wanted to collaborate to get our work out there to a broader audience. Now, were you involved in identifying the Supreme Court cases that Harbani used in her poems? And can you tell us about that process? Sure. 
So no, I wasn't personally involved in that. Um, Hans Deep and Jespreet, the co-founders, and Erin, the policy and research coordinator, they were involved. And the process really involved them identifying thematic social justice issues that resonated with their programmatic work. And then they worked to curate case law that highlighted an important story about um, our shared like struggle to realize the promises of the constitution. And so that's how this project then um, was born. And that was the process. So DICTA forms part of ICAD's embrace of artivism as a means of driving social justice. How do you think DICTA can inspire audiences to take action? What I love about DICTA is that I really uh, believe that it's an invitation to interrogate things that we sometimes take for granted. I think it inspires the audiences to um, think about core issues underlying the law and policies that um, help shape the law. And I think it also encourages people to, you know, really try to explore and be imaginative and creative and to think about structural solutions to problems um, and hopefully to come up with things that will help uh, generations to come. So really this piece of creating a world where people get to um, explore, you know, really examine, really look at, well, what's underneath here? What's the foundation? What was initially meant, meant by something? Um, and I think that that inspires people not to take things for granted and to remember that we are creative beings, right? So if people originally created um, these laws for purposes that con were connected to things that were uh, unjust, well, what can we reimagine for the future? And I think that that's what um, Harbani's work does. It, it encourages us to remember that we can shift things, that we can move them around. We can really read into what's underneath the context of, of something that was presented to us in one way. And so I think that that is, you know, just a huge opportunity for anybody who engages um, with the project. And did you find yourself personally inspired by Harbani's work? Can you tell us a little bit about the impact that her work had on you personally? Yeah, so I grew up in a household uh, where art and creativity were just a part of our breath. You know, us Hendersons, we can recall at all points in our lives that's at one of us was on a stage somewhere. My dad was in uh, the arts. He was an actor. And my mom, I feel like she was a walking art piece, whether it was the hairstyles that she had, um, her fashion. Um, she also, to me, kind of speaks in it with a cadence that sounds like it's just poetry, um, even just remembering things like the dangling of her bracelets. So there was always uh, some kind of artistic uh, presence in um, my household. And so that really kind of established a strong connection between me and the power of words and being able to see that you could really kind of move people in ways by connecting with your soul, right? So when my dad was on the stage, I think there was a part of him that was really kind of going in and reaching for different layers of himself and presenting that on the stage. And as you watch from the audience, you know, or watch people watching my mom walk down the street, you can really move people, you know, through your craft, through your creativity and through just who you are. And um, so as a person who, you know, grows up with that relationship with art, um, my introduction to dicta and my exploration of the work was really uh, a 
a, a powerful experience to me. I think that it made a lot of things about the law accessible to me as well, which is one of the intentions, you know, of the project. Um, while I definitely could tell lengthy stories about ways in which I've learned, experienced, and understood injustice connected to the law, I think that it helped me to see the language, to see policy, to see law in a different way. That also shapes, you know, how I do my own uh, work of activ activism on a daily basis. So I was really moved by those pieces. And, and do you have a personal favorite in the series of poems that Harbani has created? Yeah, so I uh, also had the honor of being uh, one of the voices to uh, read the, the pieces aloud. And so when I was selecting pieces that stood out to me, the Graham versus Connor piece was really one that I connected with, that I resonated with. And um, taking a moment to really think about this idea of being objectively reasonable, right? And especially during these recent times where people are putting a lot more uh, emphasis on, well, where some people are, are finding a lot more emphasis on the relationships between uh, the police um, and particularly uh, black folks and people of color. Um, it was interesting to see, you know, from 1989, you know, here is what are some of the building blocks of the dynamics that, you know, we are talking a lot about these days. So to really read that piece, um, to not only read the piece and to see, you know, the Graham versus Connor name, but also to learn more about the Thorn, the Thorn Graham and uh, his experience with the officers in North Carolina. So it was moving uh, for a, a lot of reasons. Again, it, you know, it is a, an ongoing, um, dynamic and what I what I appreciated about the piece and what Harbani did is that again it just reminds me of the building blocks of transformation. So you know that realizing change requires us to kind of go back to this foundation. What do we need to reconfigure so that we can see something different for generations to come. So that Graham versus Connor definitely stood out to me. And that's the case that's about whether or not a use of force is reasonable, right? So when you say objectively reasonable, the highlight in that poem is uh, highlighting that the test the Supreme Court crafted back in 1989 was this objectively reasonable test, right? Yes. Yes. So looking to the future of activism, uh, what role do you see art playing? And are there any upcoming initiatives that we should look out for? Yeah, I think uh, if you open your eyes long enough <laughs> in, you know, these days, especially with um, all of the social media platforms that you can think of, you can see how people really lean into artistry and creativity to share stories, to tell stories, to draw attention to things. And so I think that art has definitely um, has a history of doing that. Uh, and I think that the ways that we grow in technology and just visibility, they invite new lanes and new opportunities to, um, you know, for art to have a huge impact. So I think that uh, projects like Dicta are, you know, just right in, in that lane of, of really, kind of using the moment and using um, and leaning into, you know, just the talents of artists and the ways that people can just, 
really think out in, in new ways and share information in new ways. I feel like that's, that's very powerful. And because just one click, you know, one piece of information or one experience can travel you know, to so many people, I think that we're in a good space to keep using or keep, uh, again, leaning into artistry and technology to you now spread the word and to lay the foundation for transformation. So that said, there will be a new cohort cohort of artivists in 2022. Um, that cohort will be finalized in January. And uh, one of the intentions be behind um, this kind of wave of, of artivists is to, again, bring underrepresented art artists who use diverse mediums um, to the team so that they can and uh, provide a human rights lens to their work. So really build uh, something dynamic between um, their medium and, and the human rights uh, perspective. And part of this will include um, that these artists will uh, take a 10 week uh, virtual human rights course. And um, so that will also inspire kind of what they get to create. So it'll be awesome to, here and to learn who the new uh, cohort is. And given what we've seen with this first project or with this project, it'll be exciting to see what they come up with next. Now drawing for a moment about your own background and experience and the knowledge you've gained over the years, um, what advice would you offer to our listeners, particularly lawyers looking to become involved in human rights efforts and the social justice movement? Yeah, one thing that stands out a lot, and you know, we shared at the beginning that I've been doing a lot of trainings on um, what it means to be anti-racist, for example. Um, but for me, a lot of this is grounded in a healing-centered perspective. And you know, one thing that's important and that's been important for me in all those spaces is to remind people to ask themselves, well, who am I being, right? So there's one thing about looking at those words um, and seeing them as words, but also remember that there were beings behind the construction of those words and these laws and that these policies. And so who did you have to be, you know, to produce laws that would have this kind of impact or to not be able to think in ways that would allow them to actually construct uh, laws and policies that actually look like what Harbani, you know, might have produced. So my biggest thing is that much transformation um, starts at the level of self. So who am I being in the spaces that I have the privilege and honor to have an impact in? And what am I thinking about? How am I thinking about the things that I have the power to make choices on? Um, what's the impact of the things that I'm saying and the things that I'm designing and developing that will affect others? And so I feel like if we really engage in critical self-reflection in that way, and we see ourselves as impacted by those things, right? Then I think that that could be um, very helpful in creating the transformation that we hope to see. Yes, and I, I would think that if you ask yourself that question self-critically, who am I being, that at that point, and you've answered that question honestly, at some point you will also understand who the people around you are being, right? And you can come to a shared understanding of some sort. Yeah. So, well, thank you so much for joining us today, Zuleika. This has been a wonderful conversation. Uh, we encourage everyone to check out the virtual DICTA exhibit, which will be linked in the podcast description. And I hope you're able to connect again on future projects and to welcome you back for another chat. Thank you for having me. It was nice meeting you, Celeste. You've been listening to the Clifford Chance podcast. If you enjoyed this, 
please subscribe to our channel to stay up to date on future episodes and follow us on LinkedIn.